everybody and welcome back to Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. This is episode 3 of my new series, Stephen's Footy Insight. Uh, of course, we're back again with more football to discuss and more things to unravel as the Premier League football has gifted us with uh, many glorious things to see this uh, Premier League match day, match day 15 that is. Uh, if you're interested in listening to my previous episodes, you can find them across all platforms. I discussed the previous match days, of course the last two, as I've finally gone back into the rhythm and the groove of doing this again. I uh, hope you guys are enjoying it and loving the content. It's going to continue to come out at a rapid speed, Jamie Vardy speed. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. But the first game, without any further ado, further ado, was uh, between West Ham and Chelsea. And this game finished 3-2 to West Ham. Now, normally you guys know me, I'm a big Chelsea fan, so I'd probably talk, and I probably will talk, for ages, but I promise I'll keep this brief and short, nice and sweet. I won't say too much, I won't uh, over-exaggerate, I'll simply speak about the facts of the match. Um, First of all, I predicted that this game would finish 2-1 to Chelsea, and at halftime, if the game had finished at halftime, I would have been correct. Of course, this did not happen, Chelsea ended up losing 3-2 after some... I'd say very unfortunate scenes, you know, of unglorious emotion on, from a Chelsea fan's perspective. Um, you know, Jorginho, Chelsea's uh, regista, if you want to call him that, back to Sarri days, made various mistakes in this match. Uh, he actually had a very good game, ironically, so it's funny to say that he had a poor match or he didn't play that well or made mistakes, but also played well at the same time. He's a bit of a hot and cold player, and obviously he's been playing a lot of games recently and basically being in the lineup. Um, 24-7 or, not, you know, every 90 minutes he's playing or every game he's playing because we need him and there's no really able replacement at the moment, of course, with Kante injured and with Kovacic injured. But Chelsea lost this game 3-2. Um, Chelsea, I thought, played really well in the first half. I think throughout the 90 minutes when they played really well, but, I mean, when Havertz got injured, for me, that was game over. And, I mean, I'll come into a future episode when I create a new series again discussing uh, very in-depth details and analysis on specific teams and specific tactics of certain certain teams, whether that's a player or that's a manager or just the history of a team. I definitely have more content ideas coming out through that vein. So, again, like I said, stay tuned and keep your ears and eyes peeled. But just to say that the game finished 3-2 to West Ham was not a deserved victory in my eyes, I have to say. I think Chelsea should have at least gotten or been able to come away with a draw. Um, West Ham, of course, at the London Stadium this season in particular, have been on firing form. They've really, really, you know, taken a step up with David Moyes, a manager who they had a couple of years ago and then sacked, rightfully so at the time, in my opinion. And then they brought him back again, and he's really, really flourished uh, in his new breath of life at West Ham and the uh, Hammers dugout. Um, just to say really quickly, I think Chelsea have a lot to sort out. Um, they do, but they don't, because I know that we're going to bounce back against Leeds, which I'll get to uh, later in the in the episode. But I feel like they will definitely bounce back, as they often do with Thomas Tuchel, who does not take losing lightly. And, I mean, often top managers, especially when you just win the Champions League, you're not holding yourself to a standard where losing is good, I guess, or losing is acceptable, which, I mean, it's a part of the game at the end of the day. You can't win every single match day unless you're Arsenal from back in the day. The Invincibles, if you know, you know. But uh, with that being said, um, there's a lot to sort out. But I know once the injuries, injured players return, uh, I expect things to, you know, to kind of hit an upturn and to things for things to really improve. But moving on, between a uh, game between Newcastle and Burnley. And this game finished one nothing. I predicted that this game would finish 1-1. Um, from what I've understood, I wasn't watching this game at the time. I was watching another and other matches. And I was keeping an eye on Newcastle-Burnley, but nothing uh, too specific. I mean, Newcastle had 19 shots and four on target. So that tells you that, you know, they're definitely the team more likely to score another goal after they had scored the first one. I mean, obviously, these are the 
uh, full-time stats, but throughout the game, they're creating, creating various chances, and that's what these statistics tell us. Uh, Callum Wilson, their bagsman, scoring another goal again. Uh, I mean, after scoring an, in his previous game against Norwich, he scores again against uh, Burnley. Um, Newcastle finally, should I say, finally getting their first victory of the season. Uh, it's after 15 games, I believe that is, yes, 15 matches, they've been able to finally win a match. Um, and I mean, for Newcastle fans, this must be a delight. It must be a joy to finally see your team pick up three points from one game, not three draws in a row, uh, which hasn't happened. But I'm just saying that's how also how you could get three points. But um, just to say Newcastle deserved the, the three points in this game. And it just told me and told, tells everybody that Burnley will often perform well against teams that they should never be performing that well against, like Chelsea, for example. I mean, they should have lost the game as well. But uh, they drew 1-1 against Chelsea, and they've been on a decent run of form, having drawn at least the last three or four games and also picking up a couple of really good results in that in that time period. 0-0 between them and Wolves in the previous match day. 3-3 in the two in two weeks before, in a fortnight ago, they uh, they drew 3-3 with Crystal Palace. And you can see they're definitely picking up some form. So Newcastle were able to break that finally because Burnley have been quite stubborn recently. But of course, against Newcastle, a team that hasn't won a game yet this season, they finally drop all three points to, uh, to Newcastle. But we move on to Wolves versus Liverpool, which is uh, also, uh, for me, the biggest headline on this entire match day, which in literally the 94th minute. And I remember seeing some things on Twitter where like, I was listening to like a Chelsea space, which is like a new thing on Twitter now where you can kind of tune in and hear other fans and other people connect through like an audio um, stream system. It's pretty cool. But uh, just to say that a lot of Chelsea people who were discussing the, the match that we had earlier in the day against West Ham were saying how Divock Origi would score in the 94th minute exactly. And that's exactly what he did. And, of course, Klopp, who told Origi, come on and, be, and just, you know, be yourself, be Divock, and do what Divock does. That's exactly what he did. Liverpool, who were put on unrelenting pressure. I hope that's the correct word. But they were put on barrage, uh, a complete onslaught of pressure. And they really, really threw it on onto to Wolves and made sure that Wolves knew that they weren't going to take this game lightly. And that one, that they knew that Wolves would have to be defensively resolute for 90-plus minute, minutes in order to come away with anything. And you could argue, and in my opinion, I think Wolves should have come away with, again, at least a draw. Because the way that they played and the way that they defended, especially Connor Cody, who, I mean, for me, was man of the match for Wolves up until the minute that Divock Origi decided to become the legend of Liverpool, of which he is, according to Liverpool fans. He's Gerrard status at this point. But um, Connor Cody, with an excellent defensive clearance to block Diogo Jota, who literally ran rounded the keeper against his former club, against, you know, at the stadium where he made his name. And Liverpool obviously sought out to go on after him in the transfer market and get him. But just to say, he's back at Molyneux again. And he, uh, you know, he had a chance to kill off the game or at least go one goal ahead, which in my eyes would have killed off the game because I think Liverpool had all dominant and dominance and control in the match up until that point. Uh, but it didn't didn't matter. Origi, after some brilliant, brilliant, uh, when I have to say, like, I, I'll say this another four times. Brilliant, 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 brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. I hope I said two times now. But the point is, is the Van Dijk with an excellent pass to Mohamed Salah, who was wide open on the right side, which actually came through Rayan Aitnouri, who also had a really good game for Wolves. Wolves looked really good defensively in this game. I was very, very impressed with their defensive performance. Uh, they showed to me the grit and the desire that, you know, will definitely keep them up and not only keep them up, but also allow them to push on further into the higher echelons of the table. Um, Liverpool winning this game one nothing, like I said, because of the Origi's last-minute turn and finish. And Origi continues to do that turn and finish, kind of like a Lewandowski-esque style, but I probably shouldn't be putting their two names in the same sentence. One has just won the Striker Trophy, a.k.a. the Pizza Trophy of the Year Award. Another is just a player that comes off the bench and scores last-minute winners for Liverpool every time they ask him to. And uh, Liverpool come up with three points, and they're now in second place after Chelsea obviously dropped points against West Ham. 
Now, the next game of this match day was between Southampton and Brighton, which finished 1-1. And uh, I predicted that this game would finish 2-2. And I should probably reiterate, or should I say, go back and say that I thought Liverpool would win the game comfortably 3-1 against Wolves. And they could have. Like I said, Wolves are very, very good defensively. But uh, like I said, Wolves had to kind of break down the dam. Their, their dam was broken at the last second by Deepak Origi. But now moving back forward again, as I was mentioning, between Southampton and Brighton, the south coast uh, of England derby, if you want to call it. And I uh, finished 1-1, and the game I predicted would finish in a draw, but with, I guess, one more goal given to both teams, and the 2-2 draw was my original, or my prediction. Um, Chelsea boy Armando Broja, or Broja, or Broja, I'm hoping I'm saying that, cor- I'm saying that correctly. Uh, Chelsea player on loan. At Southampton, he scored again a really, really good finish. The way he's scoring goals now, you can see he has a lot of tech, technique and uh, and just that potent cutting edge that you need as a striker in the Premier League to get you know goals for your team and to make your team um, a side that's going to be able to, to beat opposition. How else do you score? How else do you win in football by scoring goals? Uh, Neil Mope, who is also Origi's twin brother in the sense that he also scored a late-minute winner, a last-minute winner. Um, his goal, again, you know, silencing the crowd. And, of course, he's doing his typical antics of riling them up and making them feel like, you know, they're the worst club in England or the worst club in the world because, obviously, how do you go for up until the 98th minute and concede a last-minute equalizer or last-minute equalizer for Brighton and accept that as a fan of the team and obviously concede the goal. Um, Brighton, who, again, were... We're pretty good in the game. They had 56% possession, which obviously tells you they were more dominant on the ball and they possessed the ball obviously more frequently. That's what that means. But it just means that they were creating more opportunities to go forward and keeping the game kind of in, you know, in Southampton's half and in there in Southampton's final third. And, I mean, they finally were able to, to get all their hard work to pay off as Mope, again, just like he did against Crystal Palace and against West Ham last week. He does it again. Uh, I mentioned those things, like I said, in my previous episodes, if you're interested. And, um, yeah, he scores again in this game in the 98th, 90 plus, 90, 98th minute. You don't get much later than that. I mean, eight minutes of added time is what I'm saying. But uh, to, to show you that the game is never over until it's over, until the final whistle. And even with the injury to uh, Leandro Trussard, who had to be treasured off, and that's part of the reason why this whole this whole uh, commotion and extra time and added time, such um, a long period of added time came about was because of this injury. And Mope was able to capitalize with that extra time and scored a very, very worthy equalizer for Brighton. Um, Brighton, who will currently sit a very comfortable, I believe, uh, ninth place in the table, which is a very, very respectable position for a team that was once touted to be and touted to be, should I say, touted to be relegated. Uh, if they're not uh, touted to be relegated every season by rival fans or football fans alike. But we move on again. We swiftly move on to the next match, which is between the current team that are at the top of the table. I mean, I say this as a Chelsea fan. This might actually be the team that finishes in this position and stays in this position for the rest of the uh, the season. But it was 3-1 for Manchester City as they beat uh, Watford uh, away from home at Vicarage Road. And Bernardo Silva putting on a Messi-esque performance. And no, I did not stutter when I said that. That's generally how I feel. I feel like he played an exceptional match of football. Arguably one of the greatest games I've seen from a player in the Premier League in a long time. I mean, you can argue it could have been any City player because, I mean, City are gifted with talent and with just exceptional top, top, top talent, top class players that can play in any position across the front four, front five. And, uh, you know, as a Chelsea fan, I'm very, very jealous because every time I watch City, I'm reminded just how brilliant they are and how able and how capable they are of dismantling any opposition on any given day as long as they, you know, look to play the system that Guardiola has uh, blessed them or imposed upon them. 
but goals from Raheem Sterling and two goals from Bernardo Silva, as I, as I said, who was literally involved in everything great that City did this game, scoring an absolute perler, like a peach of a goal uh, to beat Backman in uh, Watford's goal. Uh, very, very beautiful strike on his left foot into the top uh, left-hand corner to keep his right-hand corner, and the keeper had no chance. And that was the, the kind of the dagger, I guess, for um, for Watford, although they were able to get the consolation goal from Cucho Hernandez, and actually was a very well-taken finish, I have to say, with some good graft and desire to get to the ball and to make sure he won it before the City defenders were able to clear their lines. And uh, Watford loses game 3-1, and um, I mean, Watford fans can't be too annoyed, let's be honest. You never, you were, Nobody was expecting them to beat or even necessarily draw against City, especially given the recent history where City and Watford, uh, City always beat. I think it's like 42 goals now and like 4-4. 42 goals for City and 4 for Watford in the last, like I think it's like 10 or 15 fixtures. Something ridiculous like that. So that tells you that the stats and the history is all behind City to win this game in a comfortable margin or by a comfortable margin as they've done. Now we go to a really, really, really interesting game, which would be between the Leeds versus Brentford. And a player that I would never associate goals with did score in this game. And it was uh, Tyler Roberts, a player that I often slander and say isn't good enough. And, you know, he's really a championship quality player. And I say that, I mean, this is not based on, and I'm not the type of person or the type of football fan, should I say, that um, makes these assumptions or these evaluations based on a short sample, a small sample size of um, game time or performances. I've watched Tyler Roberts for a while now. Even in the championship, I was watching Tyler Roberts. And I remember thinking to myself, this guy is perfect for where he is, but to go to the Premier League is a big step. And to see him score in this game may mean and may spark the beginning of his rejuvenated form, quote-unquote, or reinvigorated form that's going to allow him to really push on and become the striker the Leeds are hoping he becomes, especially in Patrick Manfred's uh, absence. But, of course, a game that I did not expect to, to finish 2-2, or maybe I did, and I don't remember my own predictions, which, is, which would just be terrible, but I did predict that this game would finish 2-1 to Brentford. And as we know, it finished 2-2. It was 2-1 to Brentford. To, um, to Brentford for a while, for a long part of this game. And just like in the Southampton-Brighton game, there was another late equalizer. But this time, from the player I just mentioned, Patrick Bamford, PB. And PB came on and did it, did it, did what he had to do. You know, he's been away for a couple a couple weeks now. He finally returns and he does the business for Leeds and Leeds get a point that is going to be thoroughly appreciated by their fans. It's obviously Patrick Bamford's a cult hero already at Leeds and he's not even you know anywhere near his retirement at this time. So great to see that he's loved so much and so dearly by the, the Leeds faithful. But goals from Sergi Canos and Shandon Baptiste uh, for Brentford, but it wasn't to be as Brentford were held to a draw. We move on to the Man United versus Crystal Palace game. Now I know there are many Man United fans not only that listen to this, but also just in the world of football. And United finally pick up, a, or no, it's not finally, they pick up two wins in a row now. And this is Ralph Ranić's first game as Manchester United's coach. Uh, I have to say, though, I'm going to be honest, United looked a lot better. This is the best I've seen United play in forever, which is not saying a lot because United have been poor for, I think, honestly, since Sir Alex Ferguson has left the club. That's my personal opinion. But uh, Ralph comes in and gives a, you know, a sense of direction, a sense of purpose, a style, a tactic, some tactics, uh, a system that clearly United players have picked up on immediately he's only really coached him for a couple of days now and I mean it was quite evident that they were listening and they were attentive to his to his instructions because we could see a new style of play finally from United not just some counter-attacking hoping for you know a moment of individual brilliance from Ronaldo which didn't come this game it came from a player who I often slander and all the football world slanders we often say he's not Brazilian we inverse certain he's from Angola is what people always tell me which I think is hilarious but uh it was Fred uh, the Brazilian Fred and he scored a goal, which on his weaker right foot, not only can Fred 
or do people often say Frank can't shoot, let alone on his left foot, his strong foot? He ended up scoring a goal on his weaker foot, his right foot, and putting it into the top bins. Now, United, who I guess they're worthy of their victory, but let's be honest, Crystal Palace had chances, and United weren't the most convinced, uh, convincing in going forward. I think in transition, they look a lot better, as they often do, but they've really improved with, with, uh, with Rangnick's um, in, um, instructions already. And hopefully, long may that continue if you're a United fan, of course. And I think that probably will, because I see them going in an upward spiral, upward trajectory after his appointment. Um, Palace continuing their poor run of form. I think that's like no wins in the last three or four now for Palace, which is just atrocious. I still think Vieira is the man for the job. I don't think that Palace should be too concerned just as yet. Uh, there's still time for them to bounce back and come back uh, strong. I think they have a good set of players, and when they bring back Eze, and they're able to find a way to combine Eze, Alise, Edward, Benteke, Zaha, all these brilliant and flair type players that you don't really normally associate with Crystal Palace. When they are able to gel properly and come to become a cohesive unit, then we'll really see them kick on and become the team that you know I'm expecting them to be and they're expecting themselves to be as with all the talent that they're blessed with. But they finish one nothing to United. Um, and we move on before I get too caught up in the United web of talking about United for ages. And we move on to the North London side, Tottenham. And they won this game 3-0. Uh, a game I predicted would finish one nothing to Tottenham. Um, if ended up finishing 3 nothing, I might add again, should I say that the United game I thought would finish 2 nothing to United, and it could have been. I mean, had Ronaldo got his scoring boots, and, you know, maybe if Ronaldo doesn't score in a game, he's not good, but that's not my opinion. I just what people say who love Messi, and if you love Messi, yeah, fair enough, but I'll always say that if Ronaldo doesn't score in one game, he's not, he's not playing well anymore, which is just ridiculous to me. But another striker who did not score for their team today was, like, as I was mentioning, is Harry Kane for Spurs, and this game finished 3 nothing to Tottenham, a game that was only going to finish in you know in one team's favor let's be very honest Conte finally picking up some real rhythm and a run of form maybe if they play uh, how do you say the name Mura Mura uh, from Slovenia again they might drop points again but uh, in the Premier League they're definitely getting some victories and they're playing some easier oppositions at home which you'd expect them and games you'd expect them to win and they are winning these games now so that's a uh, lovely to see from a Spurs uh, point of view goals from Lucas Mora Davison Sanchez and uh, Sun Hyun Min Son, again, showing us exactly why he's the greatest South Korean player to ever play in the Premier League. There's no debate. Uh, for me, he's definitely a Tottenham legend at this point because Son is always, every game, even when Tottenham play poorly, Son is finding a way to make an impact and to prove why he should always be in the starting lineup. And it's going to be a, you know, a fan favorite for, for years to come, even if he is to leave, which, I, in my opinion, again, humbly, I believe he should because I think he's at the caliber to play for a really top side. But, I mean, no disrespect to Spurs, but Spurs haven't won a trophy in who knows how long. And top sides, and by my definition, are teams that are at least competing for those such trophies uh, every two or three years. But, um, so that's why I would think he should uh, definitely aspire to be in a more, um, I guess, uh, ambitious club because <laughs> Tottenham settled for these wins and think that they've won the Champions League. And I think that he should go to a club where he can really win things that are, you know, meaningful as opposed to a game against Norwich. Get no disrespect, but that's just me saying that. I think he's that good of a player. But um, Norwich, with their first loss underneath Dean Smith, it's not a terrible not a terrible loss. I mean, you weren't expecting really to win this game. And Tottenham were actually on really good form going into this match. And they played well in this game as well. They were very, very, very um, impressive. And they showed me the best out of Tottenham, I think, uh, so far in Conte. So... We'll see where that goes. But uh, moving on to Aston Villa versus Chris, uh, versus Chris Palace versus I love Chris Palace for some reason versus Leicester City. This finished two one. A game I predicted would finish two one to Villa. So finally, I get a prediction spot on, and I'm very very happy to say that because you know I'm tired of uh, of um, just narrowly missing the mark. But uh, Ezri Kanta actually scored twice, and Ezri Kanta became um, 
you know, the goal of all goats in this game, the greatest of all time for Aston Villa, uh, as he was able to kind of seal the victory for them in the 54th minute after a good corner kick was taken in, and he was able to get a header at the back post, which led Villa to a victory. Steven Gerrard beating his uh, his former boss, as he obviously was coached by Brendan Rodgers at Liverpool uh, for a while, and he actually grew a really strong relationship. And uh, it's cool to see Gerrard being able to get one over his old gapper, as they'd say. Uh, Harvey Barnes with a really good finish early in the game in the 14th minute, but it wasn't to be as Leicester fought and fought and fought and fought until they couldn't fight anymore. They threw the kitchen sink at Aston Villa and Villa. Villa were, they were resilient, but you could definitely see that the dam may have been broken over time. Uh, the game continued on for another 25 minutes or so, but Villa were again, were the other victory and uh, good for um, Villa because they're going to need this kind of uh, Pick me up, I guess, this boost because who they play next is not going to be easy. Playing Liverpool at Anfield is literally the most difficult game in the Premier League. So we'll see what they do. But um, we move on to the final game of match day 15, which is the one that just happened earlier today between Everton and Arsenal. A game I thought Arsenal would win 2 nothing, and I was wrong. I mean, I could. this game could have gone either way. It really could have. Even the commentators were saying at one point in like the 80th minute or so when it was 1-1 that it could be... Everton win, an Arsenal win, or a draw. And um, to be honest, it really should have been 4-1, I think, or something like that, because uh, Richarlison had two goals ruled off correctly, but I just feel like VAR was was trying their best to really do and screw one over or give one over to um, to Everton because they were very unlucky with the offside decisions from VAR. And, I mean, people argue that maybe Everton shouldn't have, have had the chances to score those goals because they'd be defending by only having 10 men on the field with a controversial um, tackle or, I guess, step on the face from Ben Godfrey on uh, Tommy Asu of Arsenal. But, I mean, they ruled it as accidental. I think it was as well, but that was a very, very controversial moment, which definitely would have changed the outcome of Everton's performance and their game. But we uh, move further into the match and uh, a goal actually for Martin Odegaard on the stroke of halftime after a really good cross from Quarantini on the left side and a brilliant, brilliant finish. I have to say Martin Odegaard's technique on this goal was something spectacular, but it wasn't to be. It was not enough because in the second half, Richie, as they call him in in England and in, in Brazil, in Brazil, Richie. Scored in the 79th minute after, again, being denied again earlier in the match from another for another offside goal. He finally gets what he does, what he richly deserves. And he scores um, his 50th goal in the Premier League, which is, of course, a huge milestone. And it seemed like he wouldn't get that today after, obviously, like I keep mentioning, having two chances of or two, two goal, goals being uh, cut, uh, chalked off. But we finally come to the most impressive moment of the entire 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 match day even more than Origi I lied earlier Damari Gray's finish was something absolutely absolutely sumptuous sensational brilliant whatever word you want to think of whatever adjective comes to mind it was a it was just an absolute rocket of a strike Ramsdale had no chance and people are acting like Ramsdale is the next Gianluigi Buffon of course that's typical deluded Arsenal fans uh, I mean, their fan base openly admits, I've witnessed and watched and listened to many podcasts and videos where they say, yeah, we know we're deluded, but that's our way of getting out of our rut at the moment. And fair enough. But I have to say, Ramsdale was well beaten after this strike. And uh, Arsenal, who weren't even terrible, I have to say, they were pretty decent in certain moments, saw some good passage of play, but nothing too uh, worthwhile, I guess, in terms of getting a victory. Although they probably should have won themselves or at least gotten a point from this after Eddie Nketiah missed uh, a late uh, a late chance and when he headed the ball just against the post. At the, again, at the back post again. It seems to be a trend in the Prem, scoring and trying to score from the back post. 
Only a couple minutes later, Demario Gray picks up the ball just outside the box, and he says, "You know, why not? Why not just have a dick? Let's let me just take a crack at it. It wouldn't hurt anybody." And he absolutely slaps that into the into the uh, I guess the mid mid section of the of the right side of, of the goal. The keeper's left, and it was a really really good finish and something that tells you that Everton are trying to do their best. And Gray, in particular, we all scored against Liverpool, is trying to take Everton out of the mud basically, and he's done that successfully today. And giving everything their first win in a while. So every defense who did walk out in the 27th minute after having a protest uh, uh, against um, organized prior to the game to say that uh, I guess of a, a bit of a um, a shout back at the the owners and the club basically for not being able to win the trophy in 27 years. I mean those people definitely missed an absolute scorcher of a strike. So I guess I don't know how significant them leaving might have been because they did win the game <laughs> ironically, but the game finished 2-1 to Everton. And to get onto the predictions now of match week 16, match day 16. And the first uh, game of uh, match day 16 is between Brentford and Watford. It's Friday night underneath the lights at the um, the communities, the Brentford Community Stadium, I believe it's called. And I believe this is going to be a very, very, very good game. Two teams that love to attack, love to go at each other, love to... Uh, or their opposition, uh, each other as well. Of course, their history in the, in the championship. If you've seen their previous fixtures, you should watch them because these games are always, always living up to the billing. Uh, I think this game's going to finish 1-1, ironically. I think it'll be a lot of chances, but I don't think it'll be a high-scoring game. I haven't seen Brentford really bring out uh, a performance that tells you they're going to score many, many goals. Of course, I know they scored two goals against Leeds, but that's a one-off in my eyes. And I think Watford will look to be defensively sound, but also look to hit on the break with Emmanuel Dennis and Joshua King and... Uh, of course, Kucho Hernandez, maybe a draw Pedro. Uh, I'm going to go for 1-1 one, one draw. Between Manchester City and Wolves, the first game on the Saturday uh, morning kickoff, is uh, I'm going to go for a 3-2 Manchester City win. I don't see how City don't win this game. I think City will continue their good form. And with Bernardo Silva performing the way he does against basically Portugal FC, he's going to want to prove himself against Portugal FC, which is Wolves, in other words, because they have a bunch of Portuguese uh, players and, and fan base and even investment, I believe. So it tells you everything you need to know. But I'm going to go for a 3-2, actually, uh, Manchester City. When I think I'm, we're going to see goals in that game. I think Wolves are going to prove uh, a tricky, tricky customer, not only for Manchester City, but any team they play this season. And uh, the next game is between Chelsea and Leeds. And I'm going to go for a 2-1 Chelsea win. I think Chelsea will bounce back from their loss against West Ham. I think this season, especially with Tuchel, I don't see Chelsea losing back-to-back games. And I think at home, too, I think Chelsea will look to really show what they're made of. And we have a game in midweek against Zenit. And I'm hoping that uh, we can um, perform well in that game to give us some form. I've heard Kovacic is coming back. I've heard Havertz's injury isn't too serious, so he might be in contention for the weekend game. I'm certain Kovacic will definitely be. Uh, hopefully Lukaku can finally hit some form. I know he's been injured and he's coming back from injury. But we'll see what uh, Tuchel comes up with. But I expect us to to pick up a, a victory in this game by any means. one nothing, 2-1. I don't care how we win. I just want us to win. Next game, Liverpool versus Aston Villa. Uh, this is going to be a really good game. I mean, very heartwarming story. This is the Danny Ings derby. So if you're interested in Danny Ings' story, then this is perfect for you. And if you love Steven Gerrard, then this is the perfect story for you as well. Steven Gerrard, of course, a Liverpool legend. And that's not like me calling him like the way people call him. Riga legend. He really is a legend. Uh, a player I admired a lot as a... As a Premier League fan, and I used to watch Jared a lot as a, as a as a child, so I have a lot of respect for him, and I hope that you know Villa are able to pick up some points in this game, but or at least a point. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think Liverpool will win, uh, despite my best wishes. They're going to win two nothing in my opinion. I think Mohamed Salah will probably score twice and just put the dagger and the sword to, to Villa, who look a lot better defensively. So that's why I'm going for a much lower result, despite Liverpool's recent performances. Next game is between Arsenal versus Southampton. Um, I think this game actually is going to finish in a. 
you know, I'm going to go for an Arsenal win. I'm going to say 2-1 Arsenal because I see them bouncing back against Southampton. Although Southampton have been on a decent run of form themselves, I think that Arsenal will find a way to come back into the match and uh, or come back into their, into some somewhat of you know a form that they remember or they recall when they were uh, went on an unbeaten run of eight or nine games. So I think they win this game 2-1 actually. Norwich versus Manchester United. I'm going to go for a 3-0 Manchester United win. Not much else to say. I think Norwich are, I think United will be too good for Norwich and they'll just push them to the side. I expect Ronaldo to score in this game. I expect uh, maybe even Mason Greenwood to score in this game. I think he'll come back into the team. I think maybe a goal from Fred again for Dino might come and score a goal. So we'll see what happens there. But I think United will win comfortably. Uh, Burnley versus West Ham. Claret and Blue versus Claret and Blue. This is going to be a really, really, really grafty and just kind of rough and aggressive match. You know, of a lot of physicality and just sheer tenacity from both teams being shown. Uh, I'm going to go for a draw here, actually. Uh, actually, no, I'm not. I have uh, misread my own predictions in the sense that I think West Ham are going to win this game one uh, nothing. Uh, I think it's probably going to be a goal from like, Thomas Socek or maybe a header from um, Mikhail Antonio. But uh, yeah, I think West Ham will win this game, but by a very narrow margin. Moving on to Leicester versus Newcastle, the game at the King Power Sunday. Uh, I'm going to go for 2-1 Leicester win after coming off a loss against Aston Villa. I think Leicester will look to to right their wrongs. And Leicester actually will look decent against Aston Villa, but uh, weren't able to pick up uh, at least a point or a win in that game. But I think they will at least pick up a point or a win against uh, Newcastle for sure. Newcastle, who just gotten their first win under new management and also in the first win in, in the season. I think they might give Leicester a test here. It may not necessarily be a, a convincing Leicester win. It could be a 2-2 or maybe a 1-1, but I'm going to go for a 2-1 Leicester, as I said. Um, and then the uh, the final game, or sorry, the penultimate game of the, of the match day is between Brighton and Tottenham. And this is going to be a very good game. Everyone keep your eyes peeled on this match because I'm telling you right now, this back three versus back three battle between Conte and, and, uh, and Graham Potter is going to be something... Very, very tasty to see. Um, I'm actually going to go for a 1-1 draw. And I say that because Brighton have tend to have a knack of doing the business against Tottenham, especially at home. Although they're not great at home, Brighton, I think they'll finally get, uh, maybe Mopai will score an equalizer after Spurs score first. That's probably what's going to happen. But 1-1 in that match. And the final game of the match day, match day 15, is between Crystal Palace and Everton. The Andros Townsend derby, as he's played for both sides. Um, I think his game is going to finish 2-0 to Palace. I know... Everton won today game, won English. I know Everton won today, and I know they played uh, you know, a fairly decent match, but I think they're going to slump back into the form that they've been in in the last five or six games regardless. I think Palace, who've also not been in the greatest run of form, will finally pick up some some rhythm and some momentum in this match and finally use it to kind of springboard them, for to spread them on for the rest of the season. I think Palace will finally change their, their fortunes in this game, uh, especially with Benteke looking to get back into the score sheet again. Um... And yeah, that's all I have to say for this week, this match day. Thank you guys for listening as always. Uh, I will speak to you all soon and come back again with a review of match day 16. Oh, and also stay tuned as well because I will be doing a Champions League series coming shortly to discuss the Champions League fixtures that are coming up later this week. And uh, yeah, I'll speak to you all in the near future. Goodbye for now. Hey everyone, are you enjoying the content? Please be sure to leave a rating and a review. And to check out my other episodes. If you're looking for more Steven Talks Soccer content, you can find me at STS Pod on Instagram, at Steve Talks Footy on Twitter, and at Steven Talks Soccer on TikTok. Become a consistent starter in the STS squad.